Please praise the Lord. Yeah, before I even begin, how many in this room feel like you have a call on your life? Raise your hand. It would make sense. It would make sense. Today, heavy on my heart, I know where you are because I was where you were. And I pray from the front, front to the back, God speaks to your heart in a way that he did to me on these spiritual emphasis weekends and weeks. God solidified and aligned his purpose and plan for me. And I know that he will do that. I'm, I'm confident that he will do that in spite of me, in spite of me. If no one else has told you, I want to look you in your eye, every single one of you. I believe in you. If no one else tells you, we believe in you. If no one else gives you any more accolades, any more affirmation, if you don't hear anything that I say this whole week, because now I'm 31, God help us. I never thought I'd be here. I'm serious. No one ever thinks at, you know, 21, I'm going to be 31. I'm going to be 41. And I'm 31. Things haven't started creaking yet. I can still hoop better than all y'all in the room. Y'all la laugh now. Mm -hmm. But I want to look you in your face and tell you, you are destined for greatness. You really are. You really are. I'm so glad to have my wife and my kids with me today, Layla and Ezra. And you'll get to hear from my, my wife tomorrow a little bit, some of her story and some of her mom's. You ought to be really thankful for the leadership you have here. Um, that leadership, some in this room, fashioned my theology and helped me understand biblical principles. That's what you're doing here. Uh, and I applaud you. I give you a hand because of what you're doing here. I give you a hand. And you may be seated. Eleven years ago, Timothy still vividly remembers that morning on July 18th, 2010. He went to his job as a truck repair technician in Pennsylvania. He was sitting in his truck on a, on a job site searching for a part to begin the repair on a customer's vehicle. Suddenly, Timothy started feeling nauseated. He got out of his truck and sat beside and hoping that the nausea would subside, hoping things would get better. But Timothy said that the longer I sat there, he said, I, I felt worse. So a coworker saw him suffering and urged him to take a break. Timothy listened and then laid down beside his truck on the concrete street. And at that moment, he felt a sharp pain in his jaw that left this an, an agonizing toothache. And then pain shot up his ears next to his arms were in discomfort. And the center of his chest felt like it was going to burst open. And Timothy said that it felt like someone was trying to tear his chest apart from the inside out. 
He was now short of breath, though it felt like an eternity. Time stood still as waves' symptoms beat into Timothy. In reality, it was only a matter of minutes. His co-worker got him up, walked into the foreman's office. The foreman called 911, and within minutes, paramedics arrived and pushed Timothy to the hospital. The emergency squad arrives at the hospital, and a host of ED staff jumped in to save his life. Cardiologists, radiologists, technicians, surgeons, physician assistants, and several nurses led by the medical team worked diligently to correct the issue within Timothy's heart. We can take a moment to breathe with a sigh of relief because they were able to save Timothy. After the initial rescue, they attempted several, several surgeries in order to keep the integrity of Timothy's heart. October 19, 2019, Leslie Minnie began her walk, her day with a walk, marching in support of those who suffered from heart disease and stroke. And many had no idea that just hours later she would be categorized as one of the same exact people she was walking to support. And after leaving the heart walk, Minnie and her husband had decided to go for a hike in the mountains, which they did often. And Minnie states that in the very beginning of the hike, she could feel that something, something was wrong. She had she said on multiple occasions that she couldn't breathe but connected her lack of breath with high altitude. Later on that week, Minnie had periods of shortness of breath and back pain again and again. And during one of the particular nights following that week, she felt a sharp pain that shot right down her left arm. And that's when she knew she was having a heart attack. She was rushed to the hospital to discover that she had a 99% blockage in her right coronary artery. And she said of her experience, and I quote, when you think of someone having a heart attack, it is always that image of someone grabbing their chest and then falling to the ground. It's never a slow burn. But for me, and I quote, this is exactly how I described it. And not too long ago, Sue's morning started like any other day. School drop off at three, a three-mile walk with a friend and a trip home to let her dogs out. At first, nothing seemed out of the norm, but then the mother of three was a bit short of breath during her walk, but she, she talked it up to being extra chatty. But shortly after returning home, she began to experience these, these quick, sharp, stabbing pains in her chest. It was unsettling at best. Still, Sue didn't think that she was experiencing uh, really warranted a medical emergency, but minutes later, Sue was in the ER fighting for her life. If Sue hadn't arrived at the hospital when she did, she might not be here today. Timothy, Minnie, and Sue's heart, like our heart, is one giant pump. Every minute, your heart pumps about five quarts of blood through a system of blood vessels. That's over 60,000 miles long and averaging to at least 2,000 gallons of blood every day. Our heart beats between 60 to 100 minutes uh, beats a minute, depending on who you are and what you are doing, averaging at around about 86,000 to 144,000 beats per day. And our heart is said to be the hardest working and possibly the strongest muscle in the body. The heart is the epicenter of our physical condition, and it serves as a connection to our spiritual and emotional heart. You know that invisible part of you that ph philosophers, poets, and preachers uh, refer to all the time. The emotional part of you that got broken in the ninth grade when what's his name or what's her name said she just wanted to be friends. Yeah. They changed their, 
status on Facebook from a relationship to single or it's complicated. You got stuck in the friend zone. Can I get a witness? Don't say it out loud. <laughs> and your heart was shattered. It, it, it's heartbreaking, pun intended. If you were to ask people which image they most associate with love, there's no question that the Valentine heart would top the list. Already stocked on shelves, and this icon and symbol is on our shelves this February. It's that place inside of you that hurts when a friend or family member dies. It's a place where words and experiences, positive or negative, are filled, filtered long-term. It's, it's that animated space in you that gets all nostalgic and gushy when you hear your favorite chorus in church. Or type in that favorite song on your smartphone and play on those Bluetooth speakers jamming while you brush your pearly whites in the morning. Please do so every morning. It's, it's that part of me that was filled with joy when I laid eyes on Layla and Ezra at, Children's, at Knox Community Hospital in Mount Vernon, Ohio. And I would be remiss and in trouble later if I neglected to mention that butterfly feeling I felt back on May 26 of 2006 when I first laid eyes on the most dedicated, beautiful, and cherished woman in the world named Natasha Marie. It's, it's that part of you that holds the emotions, right? The problems, the concerns, and the experience. The heart I am referring to is that mysterious, wonderful, confusing part of you that enables you to love, laugh, fear, and experience life. It's the place where relationships are formed. Wars start here. Decisions begin here. And the very effects of those decisions can always be traced like a roadmap back to the heart. I would not consider myself a cardiologist or a heart specialist, but I, can, I recognize that there is a commonality both between the physical and the spiritual heart. Each year, as, many as, four, as 460,000 people die from a heart attack in the emergency department, according to the U.S. CDC. And recognizing a heart attack when it happens is key to survival. But the CDC reports that approximately three in four people, they just don't know the warning signs. How fitting that the CDC recognizes a physical issue that we too must recognize in our spiritual lives. King Solomon, wise because of his request to God, pins a proverb that is essential to the student's survival and in your service to the kingdom. The words he scribes seems to be most definitely, most definitely a lesson he learned from his dad, David. It's found in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. It says this, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Anybody got issues? Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it... Out of it flows the issues of life. This is a Bible quizzing three-part question with three points question. Keep what, how, why, right? Keep thy heart. Well, how do we do that? With all diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life. I want to speak to you for a few moments. Keep your heart. Keep your heart. Today... We get the opportunity through the pages of Scripture to travel with a man who was anointed and chosen by God. 
If we peek into the book of 1 Samuel, you'll notice a young, somewhat naive teenager working the family business. David was given the responsibility over a selection of dad's business. The flock of sheep in his care and protection, David was a shepherd. He was a keeper of the sheep. While he kept the sheep, we might assume that David quite often played his heart, plugged in his sheep like amplifier and let the tunes flow through the herd. He had a good voice, so he often sang. When, at, when these activities failed to comfort him, he might have gathered up a small pile of stones and one by one swung them at a distant tree, one rock after another on the bark after another. When one rock pile was gone, he would just walk to the blistered tree, reassemble those same rocks, and designate another leafy enemy at yet a further distance. He did this often, alone with his God, in the ba of the sheep in the background. It is hard at times, even dangerous, to have feelings of loneliness coupled with a lack of purpose. It's where some of you lived for a while, or you remember what it's like. I'm no stranger to its call. Yet this shepherd, singer, slinger loved his Lord and intended to be as close as he could be with him. At night, when all the sheep lay sleeping and he sat starting, staring at a dying fire, he, he would strum upon his ancient guitar and break into quiet song. He sang the ancient hymns of his forefathers, and he sang songs like, The Lord is my shepherd. He goes before me. Defender behind me, I won't fear. And while he sang these songs, he cried, he laughed, he thought, and wept. And while weeping, he often broke out into abandoned praise until the mountains and distant places lifted up David's praise and tears and passed them on to higher mountains, strung them through the trees and mountains and woods until eventually reached the ears of God. And when the young shepherd did not praise and when he did not cry, he tended to the each and every sheep and lamb, ensuring that they were well taken care of. They were fed and well nourished. He cared for the sheep. He loved the sheep. And I can just envision that while they slept, he sung long into the night. He wove the day's sangha into a song. He hurled that hymn to the skies again and again and again. And each hymn and song has become healing and encouragement to the brokenhearted men and women of today and every age to come. Even in our day, decade and generation, we still sing songs that tell us to keep our heart focused on God, even in the hard times. Yeah. You know this song. I will bless the Lord. I will praise his name. I will bless the Lord. I will praise his name for the rest of my life. I'll forever proclaim he's, y'all sound real good. Sing it again. He's, this is the heart of the man we admire. These are the songs from a man that we admire. This is the heart of the man we sing songs about. This is a young man's heart still flows in our lyrics and projects on our highly advanced media screens. His heart is still intertwined to how we ought to care how we ought to praise, how we ought to worship, and how we ought to live. It's intertwined in every single one of his lyrics. And as David would sing, as David would shepherd, as David would play, as a young man, he, he, would, he would have never dreamed of the possibilities of a kingship. David lived in Bethlehem, a city not worth noting back then. In Bethlehem's history, things have a way of dying being anointed for some leadership role in Israel is a far-fetched aspiration for a young shepherd. 
in a backwatered town called Bethlehem. But nevertheless, the day came. It was a normal day, maybe 80 degrees, slightly windy, with a few clouds in the sky. And as was his norm, he was tending the sheep. This Jewish boy, the Bible says, he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. Ladies, he was a pretty good-looking guy. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen Mr. Him. Don't look at him now. So while, while caring for the sheep, crossing streams and meadows, trying to find a place for the sheep to rest and eat. Here comes running down the alley where David often found solitude, a messenger or maybe even one of his brothers comes with news. Strange news. He was yelling something from afar, but he couldn't quite understand him until he got a bit closer. Something about an old prophet who wants to meet him. Come quickly. His name is Samuel. David, no doubt, responds, well, what about the sheep? His heart's in the right place. Of course, his brother takes care of the sheep while David runs toward his father's house. So David ran. He stopped long enough to catch his breath and sweat pouring down his sunburnt cheeks, his red face matching his red curly hair. He walked into the father's house, his eyes recording everything in sight. The youngest son of Jesse stood there tall and strong and uncounted by daddy. Let me stop for a moment and let you know that you may be uncounted by your family and your peers, but God counts you and knows every single hair on your body. And David, uncounted, stood tall and strong. But more in the eyes of the curious old gentleman than to anyone else in the room, David had never seen him before, though he had heard his name. The elderly man and prophet was in his house. Samuel was there. The pastor was there. And even what the pastor could not see, God saw. God told Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, look, look not on his, account, on his countenance or on the height of his statue, for the Lord sees not as man sees. For the man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, well, where does he look? He looks at the heart. Let me pause for a moment and just sneak this in. Your pastor or leadership in your life cannot read your heart or your motives. And the issues that spring from your heart. He or she can only see how you respond to the word of God. How you interact with people. And how you engage yourself in worship service. Samuel had every right to be apprehensive. But he did not know David's life behind closed doors. But Samuel did know. And your pastor and your leadership does know the voice of God. So if you're wondering why you haven't been asked. Into a certain role in the kingdom. It is quite possible. That your pastor and or your leadership has yet to hear from God. That you are indeed ready to be anointed and trusted for that position. So your job is to make sure your heart is in the right place when your pastor or leadership calls you. I'm just going to talk to you today. So God had taken a house-to-house -house survey of the entire kingdom in search of someone very special. As a result of this survey, the Lord God Almighty had found that this young man named David loved his Lord with a purer heart than anyone else in the sacred soil of Israel. He had a heart for sheep. Thus, he had a heart for people. He had a heart to care. Thus, he would fight for his people. This young man had the most purest heart in the, in the eyes of God. What happens next is something David had only heard about in Israel's 64.0 radio network. It came on the YouTube commercials for weeks. It was a big deal. Even different songwriters posted their version of what happened on Israel. Graham 
It was during the time when one of the most famous, prominent, notorious, well-known celebrities in the nation became something that was quite different, quite foreign in their culture, but accepted in their nation. Quite recently, this event was the crowning of the tall, lengthy, and strong man named Saul as king. David didn't know exactly how it all went down, but he recognized that this moment was something special. They played it on the ad on almost every radio commercial and perhaps had it on Facebook Live as David would watch on his ancient Android tablet. So as the oil, as the oil pour, poured from Samuel's vessel flows from the top of David's head down to his peach fuzz face, David's heart skips a beat and realizes that he too is now being installed as the future and present king of Israel. Can I empathize with you for a moment? I recognize that you are facing, in your generation, two pressures. Pressures from within and pressures from without. Apostolic voices in our circles remind us that we have big shoes to fill, and you do have big shoes to fill. With, that, with great apostolic heroes as remarkable examples, it's easy to become intimidated by their larger, larger head-over-heels uh, ministry. And I hear your anxiety trying to match your faith that screams that what you are dealing with in this culture is vastly different than in previous generations, and your concerns are valid. But I also know that you are anointed by God, and you have a purpose from God, just as David was anointed and filled with purpose. Though I empathize with you, let me lead you on a little secret. Rarely does the initial anointing lead you directly to your purpose. In fact, anointing typically, or the unlocking of one's anointing, happens on roads no one wants to travel in places no one wants to go. This is why you're familiar with people who had anointing, or should we say potential, and never lived up to their God-given purpose. You know why? They got mad, bitter, and bent at the process and failed to recognize that this was God's way of helping them attain where God wanted them to go. Just because you were called at an apostolic altar, which I'm sure all of you were, doesn't mean that the rest of your journey is going to be easy. So we mustn't find it strange that after this remarkable event of recognition and celebration, God led the young man not to the throne room, but to a decade of agony and suffering. On that day, David was enrolled into the school of hard knocks, not into the lineage of royalty, but in the school of brokenness. Samuel went home. The sons of Jesse, save one, went forth to war, and the youngest, not yet ready for war, stayed at, at the father's house anointed, yet not promoted in the place of prominence and kingship, but as a messenger boy for his brothers. Jesse wasn't really skilled in sending text messages, so David was, he was tasked to, to run the food for his brothers, and so he did this regularly on the front lines. It was his day job, and it's still shepherd herder during the night. David faced his own battles with a lion and bear to protect his sheep. He faced his own battles privately with no one watching, and without any praise or pats on the back before he could slay a much bigger bear that stood nine feet tall named Goliath. I know you know the story, but before you reach your destiny in ministry, you have to realize that there are internal battles waiting for you that you will face alone that no one else will see. Battles that are intended to prepare you for the Goliaths of your generation. Don't be confused with how David swipes over his victories with both the bear and the lion. Because I can assure you that these moments were difficult and challenging. He, he perhaps had the bruises, cuts, and wounds to prove that this, these battles were difficult. The internal battles that, were, that you struggle with are, they sound like shame, worry, 
purpose, anxiety, fear, worthlessness, heartache, loneliness, the spiritual battles that you battle with against are always found, always found one in the behavior and disposition of prayer. That's, that's where your resources lie. David uses his resources and leans on God. However, it is in the results of this battle and solid victory, David finds himself a folk hero and transferred from shepherd to music pastor in the king's house who learns a valuable lesson that when you play music, stand a dis- far distance from the guy holding the spear. For Saul got tired of hearing the song in the city streets. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens thousands. King Saul grew angry while noticing the call on David's life. However, David remained submitted to authority even when the delegated authority offended him. Somehow through it all, it would seem that David's heart was still intact because it would have been so easy and even permissible for David to get offended and lose sight of the purpose that God had on his life. So let me make this very clear. Your pastor, your leadership, the staff and faculty here at Urshan are humans filled with faults and failures. And they will offend you. And 99.9% of the time, it will be unintentional. This is easy to say and hard to live by. But it is your responsibility to remain submitted to how the anointing flows. And how God honors those who are submitted to authority. And so David now, a long ways from home, finds himself in a palace, not a pasture, A transition has come for David, and the circumstances that led him to this platform was anything but lilies and roses, but everything to do with hardship and hard knocks. He dodged a spear, he killed a bear, he slew a giant, and now even has his own theme song. Even after Saul throws his spear at him, he remains in Saul's employment, yet we witness a moment of vulnerability for David. David knows King Saul wants him dead and finds Saul in a very vulnerable position. And with the constant voices of his peer-pressured friends, they decide, and he decides to cut a piece of Saul's clothing, his robe. And David's heart seems to be in jeopardy here, but then we see a flurry of hope in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 5 and 6. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. Somehow, through all the mess that Saul will put him through, David found a way to keep the integrity of his heart. See, in our society, in the fast pace of our culture, it's easy to leave our hearts casually to the side and forget that it needs attention. At times, our personal lives take precedence and we lose track of checking our hearts. So so involved in everything else or everyone else on every social media platform, every notification taking you away from the importance of a consistent walk with God while your heart is giving subtle reminders and very real spiritual symptoms that we choose in our actions to ignore. If you do not keep your heart, you'll wonder why you look the way you look three months from now or even three weeks from now. It would be easy to assume that the events leading up to David, David's ultimate place in the palace has no effect on him, but I would beg to differ. Throughout all these transactions and all these moments in David's life and with all these transitionings happening to you, it will be most difficult to keep your heart unless you are intentional. Still, we see that the road for David to kingship is coming after the tragic death of King Saul and Prince Jonathan. David finally becomes king. 
After years of waiting and growing and changing, he finally becomes king. From pasture to palace, David finds himself sitting on the throne in the heart of Israel. And through David's reign, there's nothing but war. However, war after war, David becomes successful and victorious. He was a king now, so he led. He was older now, so charging the front lines wasn't something in his daily routine. He had a kingdom to lead, people to instruct in order to give. Instead of being a shepherd of the sheep, he was now a king of people. Then one day, we notice something in David's life that is truly out of his character. This section of the story, this next chapter in the drama, doesn't make any sense. We see no signs of decay from David's heart. The usual physical heart symptoms are not indicated here. Normally, in the physical heart, trust me, chest pain or discomfort comes, or upper body pain or discomfort in the arms, back, neck, jaw, upper stomach, shortness of breath, nausea, and vomiting, lightheadedness, or dizziness and cold sweats. We don't see any of those things. Of course, no physical symptoms. We would see perhaps that other heart we refer to, that spiritual heart that which shows indicators for us in Scripture that a person who writes that in David's, no one could see, but no one could see it. David, David goes to the temple. He goes to church. David adults well. He, he does his job as a king. He's a folk hero. He has a past that, that passes many moral standards. It would seem that someone had cut out some of the portions of his story that would have given us a clue as to how we find David here at this future moment. For next, we look through the window of Scripture and notice David sitting on his roof. Up to this point, David had shown great maturity and expert judgment up to this point, and, and he'd kept up to the maintenance of his heart, and, and it had got him through every tough time and every dark corner. And he had been in pastures and caves, on the battlefield and in palaces, and he had been on epic adventures, and he had wrestled with tough decisions and kept his morality. And he is now, he has now fulfilled his childhood dream, that promise that the anointing had been given in the backfield of Bethlehem. He was the king of God's nation and was picked because of his heart. There's nothing in the story thus far to indicate any symptoms, any problems. There's really no red flags. The, the Bible really gives us no warning. Dave shows us no symptoms, at least none that we can actually evaluate. And it came to pass in the evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, is, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? This is the first red flag that we see, and you would think that conviction would set in, but somehow his heart has become dull and dry. Maybe from the war, conviction had grown function functionalist for David. What happened to David in the cave, where, where conviction literally staved off the sword? Uh, perhaps it was much easier to put his sword in the sheath than to deal with this internal issue. And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanliness, and she returned to her house. I'm sorry, but this doesn't look like David, does it? From what we heard earlier, this doesn't really look like him. This, this is not the story I want to sit down and tell Layla and Ezra in, at, during, during, during devotion. You can't tell me that this is the same David who grappled with the bear. You, you can't tell me that this is the same David that wrestles with the lion over his lambs. You can't tell me that this is the giant slayer and folk hero. 
You can't tell me that this is the same David with conviction and compassion all within his lyrics. This is not the same David that we met in the pasture. This is not the same David who was anointed by God. Who was this David? How, how, how did we get here? What happened? David, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You went to church. You were in the band. You respected your teachers. You slew a giant. You were in the choir. You led chapel services, started Bible studies, came early to class. You got A's on your test. You raised your hands in worship at church. You, you didn't procrastinate on papers. You, you, your, your tears seem real at the altar. You were, you were a servant, and now you are geared to be the greatest leader your generation has ever seen. What, David, what happened? David, you, you normally show up in the battle. You normally are the first on the front line, first in the front pew, first uh, clapping your hands, but we haven't seen you there in some time. You normally show up for student-led prayer, but we hadn't seen you in a few weeks. We figured that work and school was hectic and you were spending your own time with the Lord. No one's really checking up on you anymore. You're an adult now, David, and a leader at that. We can usually hear you praying behind your door, but... You've, you have exams to study for and papers to write, so all we hear now is the plastic between your fingers as you type away. You've opted to stay home just one Sunday, and we understood, but it's gotten more routine lately. It's, it's unlike you, but other than that, David, you, you seem to be good on all other points. What could go wrong in your story? What, what fault could we give you? Yes, you've lied. You, you've lived a roller coaster life up and down, here and there, and you went, you went, but nothing like this, David. David, this just isn't like you. David, David, what, what happened to your heart? Isn't this, isn't this why God chose you to begin with? What, what happened to your, what happened to when, do you remember when you were at the altar and I had called you and I had given you a purpose and what, what happened, David? For even scripture says of David in Psalm 78, 70, he also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. I guess David had a momentary, momentarily failure of his spiritual heart and forgot his purpose in the kingdom. How? How does this happen? What's so interesting about David's story is that David at first doesn't even admit that he has done anything wrong. His heart hasn't come into the maintenance shop for so long that David doesn't recognize that something is off about what he's done. It's not until the shepherd in David's life tells David a story about a lamb. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. You know the story, but I won't assume. The Lord sent David, Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him, him and his children. It shared its food, drank from his cup, and even slept in its arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, David, a traveler, came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, and instead, David, he, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. 
David, he's upset now. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who, who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times because he did such a thing and he had no pity. Nathan must be cautious while he presents information to the king of the nation. You don't just walk up to a king, just ask Esther and project judgment down on the throne. You don't just waltz and point your prophetic finger at a man who's slain his ten thousands and still holds the sword of a nine-foot-tall champion. You don't just walk in the presence of a king who has a band of soldiers who were more like brothers than servants to him, who at a moment's notice and without hesitation would end you when you spoke disrespect to the king. You, you, you just don't do that, yet Nathan brings a narrative that only David could relate to. He reaches down to the depths of King David's shepherd childhood heart. And it's through that narrative that I hope it reaches into yours. David, David has killed bears over the sheep. David has killed lions over the sheep. David would now kill a man over a hypothetical sheep. Except this time, David kills a man for something he should have never wanted. Something his heart should have never yearned for. Nathan, with confidence and boldness, points his preacher finger in David's direction and speaks loud enough, perhaps, for the entire room to hear. It got quiet for a moment. You are the man, David. You could hear a pin drop. You could feel the awkwardness and conviction in the room. The word from Nathan, the word from his pastor, stunned like a thousand spears and a flood of conviction falls on David as he experiences his own spiritual heart attack because he knew what it was like to love and protect sheep and to place David in a compromising hypothetical in regards to a lamb was convicting. Conviction has a way of getting straight to our heartstrings, tugging them hard enough to demand a response. That's why it is important. Listen to me. That's why it's so important. I know we come to conferences and we stand to our feet with excitement for what the preacher has to say. But when you go home or wherever you land, when you go home, the words your pastor speaks to you in your spirit and into your heart are words specifically for you and your family. So respond wisely. Now, now David, in a puddle of tears, David looks in the mirror and wonders how in the world he got here. How in the world he got there? I've been there before. I've seen, I've seen that in other students before. Peach fuzz no longer, but a speckled beard soaked with tears flowing down his chin, embarrassed, full of remorse, heavy with regret, and perhaps fell to his knees and grabbed his chest for effect at the jolt of conviction, realizing he had compromised the integrity of his heart. This is what happens when you decide to miss the maintenance of your heart. This is what happens when you choose to neglect prayer, prayer. This is what happens when you decide to forget devotion. This is what happens when you forsake honesty with God. This is what happens when you lose your desire to remain righteous and attempt to coast in neutral spiritually. It doesn't work that way. Eventually, eventually, eventually you will see and the world will see what your heart really looks like. And believe me, this, is, this was not Nathan's way of throwing shade or shame in David's face or ours. It is the word of God's attempt to save you from yourself so that you maximize God's impact through you to the world. So then is it any wonder that David recognized the source of his dilemma, the beginning of his mistake, the center of his problem? We learn from his, this example, the one 
he could have prevented the failure. We had seen songs of victory and psalms of despair crying for David's help, but nothing, nothing of repentance. For we get to see his prayer of repentance written down in Psalms chapter 51, verse 6. It reads, Behold, thou desirest truth. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Do you know what that means? Thou desirest honesty and vulnerability. Honesty with the Lord is what he's saying. You desire truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me, would you create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I need you to create in me something that was lost, and I don't know where I lost it. And I want you to renew a right spirit in me. I got lost on the way, and I need to be renewed. Jesus, would you create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Listen, that as you continue to go during your ministry, if you do not check your heart, you will look like David. One day, I've seen it so many times. You've got to make sure every single day. This is why in Sunday school, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll... I can't tell you how many students I've watched leave this faith because they did not check their heart. They looked good. They came up here and they danced with everybody. They came and they, they looked good. They looked the part. They looked everything was good. But I'm telling you, they did not check the integrity of their heart. And they thought everything was good. And then you know what happened? Something happened in their life that they weren't prepared for because life happens. And it hit them right in the face. And all of a sudden, there was no roots to dig in. There was nothing, there was no reservoir that they had built in their lives. And so then, when their heart was questioned, they had, they had nothing to give. They had nowhere to go. And at that moment, they had, they had nowhere to go. And they had never kept, they had never kept their heart. Never kept their heart. It matters what you listen to. It matters what you watch. It matters what you say. It matters what you see. It matters who you associate yourself with. Yes, it matters who you date. It matters who you marry. Because Jesus would even proclaim that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He'd also proclaim that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He would even go a step further and say that what proceeds out of your mouth actually comes from the heart. Jesus understood that so much is weighed in the balance of your heart. Your heart is the epicenter of your life, and it is the that you track it like a hawk. The psalmist would say, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. Jeremiah would suggest that the heart is a mystery and it's deceitfully wicked. Who could know it? It is flighty. It is shifty. It has, it has the natural bent to go against God. Pay attention to how you feel. I'm going to say that again. Pay attention to how you feel. As a hospital chaplain, this is what I do. Name and claim your feelings. Know what they are and then vocalize them to God. It does not say we walk, we walk by faith and not feelings. It says we walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, your faith tells you where your emotions should go. 
The epicenter of your, of your entire life is in your heart. It's the emotions. It's how you feel. It's how you feel right now. In a service right now, you may start feeling conviction. What faith does is it tells you what to do with it. Conviction says, I should probably go to the altar and deal with whatever I'm convicted by. You feel anxiety? What do you do with anxiety? The Bible lets you know what to do with that. You feel scared? What do you do with that? The heart, out of the heart comes so many issues. But the Bible is reminding us, Solomon is reminding us to keep your heart. And only two individuals can check your heart, you and God. Only one person can be honest enough to allow God to work. And there's only one person who can begin to work with that heart for which needs to go under the knife and let them begin to reveal things to you you had no idea was there. I can tell you this from experience. November 8th of 2010, Brother McClintock had just explained I was playing basketball. And like I said, that was good. And I was hooping, I was getting it, step back, pull up, that's in there. And upon that shot, I, I fell down dead, gone. But let me ask y'all a question real quick. Now, it may not be, may not be the same now, but as a college student, I uh, didn't have a lot of money. Uh, you, may, you, may, you may can relate. And my favorite food of choice, anybody can think? Who said it? Ramen? How many, how many, how many is that ramen? Well, I had stacks about this high. I'm serious. In my room, I had stacks about this high in my room, and I ate them every day, probably three times a day. I just want to save money. Uh, but in those packets are like 2,000, 3,000 uh, worth of sodium. It's not very good for you. Uh, and in my freshman year, uh, you know, the freshman 15, I gained like 30, 35, 40 pounds. <laughs> but you see, I would, I would walk up the stairs and I would get all heavy, you know. Uh, you know, I would preach and I'd be, you know, praise God. And I was doing that. I wasn't doing that for effect. I needed it. I needed it. And I remember post post my death, some of the symptoms that I had. And I did die. I was on that floor uh, for the space of two, three, four hours, no oxygen, no, no, no brain movement, no anything. And if you know anything in the medical field, I shouldn't be talking you, to you today. But there were students like you who were praying at Urshan. Students were praying, and they were on their face and asking the Lord to save my life. And I'm so glad he did. I wouldn't have been able to see Layla and Ezra. And I remember, all I remember, my mom walking in, my wife, not at the time, that's another story. Uh, she came, and uh, I came up speaking in tongues, and I'm here today. God's been very good to me. He's been very good to me. God does still heal. God does still deliver. Let me pause for a moment. I don't know what you came in here with, but if you came in here broken, God can heal that. I don't know what you came in here with, but if you came in here hurt and would filled with anxiety, he can heal that. But it is all really about keeping your heart. I would love to tell you, I would love to tell you as you stand with me, I would love to tell you that after I had died and I had those heart issues, that I have been 
as responsible as I should with it. But that's the thing about human nature. We sometimes just kind of go and forget about the maintenance of our heart. So you might even look at me and say, Gavin, you, you probably wouldn't even eat a hamburger again, but I do. <laughs> but I've got to check the maintenance of my heart. Your heart is important. It's important now, and it'll be important when you're 99. It's what keeps you in your ministry in the future. I just wanted to give, I want to give you a principle today that if you don't keep your heart, let me just say it like this, make it clear. No one else is going to keep it for you. No one else is going to keep it for you. But you got to do it yourself. Because you look at the life of David, really he gives no symptoms. You can go through this whole life looking the part and playing the part. And here's, here's the scary thing, okay? God will still use you. He'll still use you because he called you. But if you do not align with him, then what you will do is not just affect you, but if you look at David's family afterwards, it's wrecked. It doesn't look good. All types of things happen after David does not decide to keep his heart. I'm keeping my heart for my walk with God, but I'm also keeping my heart for these young babies right here. And I pray that you do because you'll be the ones preaching to them at conferences. You'll be the one speaking into their heart. And if your heart is not right with God, I don't want you depositing anything in theirs. So make sure that you keep your heart. I know you're wondering where you're supposed to go. I know you're trying to figure out what's next for your life. But let me give you this piece of advice. If you can figure out the longitude and latitude of your own heart and align with God, no matter where you go, God will be there. He'll be there. So before you decide where you want to go, before you decide where you want to be, before you feel like God's called me to that place, make sure the longitude and latitude of your heart is aligned with him before you go anywhere else. Because your heart determines what you deposit into others and your heart determines your future. So keep your heart. So David... David, David, it's time. That same lamb that you were so, so upset about, it's time you, you step on that altar and sacrifice it yourself. I don't know where you are, but I do know that God has a purpose for you. I point my finger in your face and say, you are the man, like Nathan. You are the man that's going to do great things and great exploits for God. You are the man that's going to change this world. You are the woman. You are the young lady that's going to change the world. But you are also the young man and young lady that if you don't keep your heart, you will have a future.
You believe God speaks to you? Right, you do. Okay, so I'll obey. Um, we've been in ministry now, in youth ministry, for eight years now. And I have watched students come in and uh, they, they come in on fire for God. I would love to tell you that everyone that I graduated from Urshan is still living for God. That that wouldn't be true. But I can tell you this. The ones that are living for God now, I know had a regular diet of devotion. I don't know where you are today. But your heart is the most important thing that you've got to keep. And so I wonder if today you would find a place and you just be vulnerable with God and let him know everything here. All of your weaknesses, all your frailties, all your wants, all your desires. And from right here, just align it right here, set it right here, set it in motion right here. That before you start shepherding people, because you will, you shepherd and you keep your own heart. I don't even care where you go. You can stay where you are. You can come up here. But I think this is a moment where, where you can find a space here where you will keep your heart. God, we're here. God, we're here. And we want desperately to, to walk with you. So in our journey, I pray you help us. Help us keep our heart. Give them your heart today so that way when they go to the housetop, your motives will be pure. When they glance toward Bathsheba, they, it'll bring conviction instead of curiosity, but that does not happen until they give their heart to you today. What will you do here, young lady, in the Nathan experience where you have been challenged inwardly, faced with your own internal issues that even now you're wrestling with? Will you shove them aside, place them for another service, or expose yourself to God's mercy and grace today? I point to a generation and elevate my voice and say, you are the man and women of this next generation. Keep your heart today. God, I pray that we expose ourselves to you again and say, this is where I'm at. This is where I am. Look inside of me today. I give you full access to my heart, Lord. Show me what's inside of there. Let me know. Is there any bitterness in there? Is there anything in there that you don't want? What is in there? But Lord, rend my heart. Rend my heart. I come to you today and I want nothing more than to live for you. So Lord, all of my expectations for the future I place on hold right now. And I say, Lord, look at my heart. What do you see in there? What is it that needs to be exnade? What needs to be exited? And what can you deposit back into me? Lord, where is my heart? Where is my heart? Search deep now. Search deep now. Search deep now. Search deep now. Only you and God here. 
Only you and God can search your heart. Only you and God can be honest about where you are. Let your spirit of conviction flow through this place, Lord, and remind us, yes, that we are, we are so fragile, but God help us with our heart.